Why stand still when you can run headfirst into a wall? You're listening to the Jocular Pugilists. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! God, I, I love Braveheart. I am such a fan, right? 100%. I'm with you. I know Mel Gibson's made some pretty questionable decisions lately, but <laughs> sorry, his movies still kick ass. Oh, God, I wish you hadn't brought that up and reminded me. Now I'm going to have to be thinking about that the whole episode. Every morning I give Gabriel that speech before he goes to school. <laughs> <laughs> they can take your lives. <laughs> but they can't take your freedom. But that is just school. You're sending him to take out like half of his class. Like, right, what are you exactly. doing? <laughs> also, it's a bitch putting out that blue paint every morning. <laughs> I, re- I really feel for the blue man group. <laughs> Yeah. I came really close to buying a kilt for Gabriel, which, which is, we were in a store, why a kilt in Quebec? And I saw a kilt, I'm like, dude, you're going to get a kilt. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you're, you're a huge fan. What do you know about William Wallace and, and Robert the Bruce? Well, most of my education with uh, Robert the Bruce comes from, honestly, from Hollywood yeah. and from Braveheart. If Braveheart is to be believed... yeah. Robert the Bruce betrayed William Wallace, and in the end, he had a change of heart. And in some way, that change of heart is what led to him being uh, the king of the Scots. And the king of England at the time was Longshanks. So uh, was that Edward I? He was supposed to be very, very tall, like six foot three or something. And actually, William Wallace was supposed to be six foot five. No, really? Oh, I didn't know that. It was odd that they had Mel Gibson playing him. But but yeah. Right. So then all of the characters were off in terms of their height. (laughs) A little little bit. But whoever played Edward I in the movie was intimidating. I forgot the actor, but he did it in a very intimidating way. Oh, he was so great. Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? He was fantastic. Yeah. I actually watched it last night in preparation for this. Doing your Hollywood homework. I had to. It's been so long. The first time I ever saw that movie, I was so jacked up that I ran to to go talk to my friends about the movie. I met up with a a buddy of mine and and just ranted about it. It had just come out. And then when I lived with Aaron in Manhattan for, I think, a year we must have watched that movie probably four or five times a week. We just could not get enough of it. You've definitely outdone me then. I probably saw it about three times, though. I have to think about it. I know I saw it when it came out. I must have seen it streaming or rented it at one yeah. point. And just a couple months ago, we watched it with Gabriel. But we actually didn't make it through the very ending of it because the ending of it is really rough. So we it is. turned it off at that point, And I just told Gabriel what happened. Those battle scenes were really rough, man. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And I'm only talking about the very, very end, his execution, which might have been true to life because I would assume his execution would have been brutal. Yeah. So we'll get to all that. But yes, it was definitely, definitely super brutal. And when I was watching the movie, I was sort of watching it in a very different way than I would normally watch it. Normally, I just sit back and sort of enjoy it. But 
I knew we were going to do this show, so I was watching it for different things. And one of the things that was cracking me up was young William Wallace, the kid who was amazing as the kid. He was what an actor he was in, in that. It was really impressive. But he had this weird mullet <laughs> going on with the braids. But the, I vaguely remember it. Right? I vaguely remember it. <laughs> it was spiky at the top and yeah. short on the sides. You know, For those of you who don't know what a mullet is, I, I encourage you to look at Bono in the 80s. You'll get <laughs> what I'm talking about. And a cool, interesting fact I came upon is that Queen Elizabeth is actually directly related to Robert the Bruce and that he would be something like her great, 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 great 19 times grandfather. Which, again, doesn't make her the house of Bruce, right? Go back to the old podcast. No, no, no. But they're related. <laughs> yeah. But they're directly related. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Okay, well, that, that's interesting. But once you go into these royal families in Europe, particularly the English crown, it seems like they're related to everybody. That's sort of what you find out when you start really digging into all the different nobles. And I was thinking about you when I'm watching the movie last night. There's another scene where... Uh, and we'll get to the history soon, I promise. But <laughs> Interesting. The, you don't want to kill me, do you? Yeah, no. No, no. There, <laughs> I there was worry. a scene between him, young Wallace, and, and his buddy Amish, who ends up being you know, one of his pals later on. Oh, right. They're pretending that they're going against the English soldiers, and they throw rocks at these, these bones that they have set up. And Wallace hits them both, and Amish turns to him and just is annoyed because he lost and punches them so hard in the face. <laughs> yeah. With your father and brother gone, they'll kill us and burn the farm. It's up to us, Hamish. That it, like, wipes them out, you know, and then they just start wrestling and fighting. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> Tomas and I, we were... We were pretty aggressive guys but and kids, yeah. but we never punched each other for any reasons that I can think of. But why not? Well, like that would have, that would have been a fun way to, to sort of <laughs> came close grow up. Yeah, so it was cracking me up. But yeah, as far as the the history in the movie, there are some things that are incorrect, and it starts very early on in the movie. <laughs> The trip I took to Edinburgh with Stacy and Connor, one of our tour guides was Owen, and he allowed me to record him and basically interview him, which was very nice of him. And so I, I've saved some of that audio for this particular episode, and here he is. Of course, I have to ask. I'm a huge Braveheart fan and huge uh, fan of it, right? <laughs> How true is the story of William Wallace, as far as we know in America? The story of William Wallace that's told in Braveheart, anyway, isn't entirely accurate. Um, in Scotland, uh, so, well, throughout the rest of the world, Braveheart is known as a historical thriller. In Scotland, it's a romantic comedy. Uh, because of all the things that they managed to get wrong. Um, there's there's quite a lot kind of wrong with it. Um, more stuff I haven't quite told yourself about on the tour uh, as of yet. I mean, for example, one of the biggest mistakes in the film is the portrait Wallace being betrayed by Robert the Bruce, which was not the case. He was betrayed by a man called uh, John Menteith. But the thing is, is the way in which I look at Braveheart is I saw that film when I was eight. And that's what kind of gave me the impetus mm -hmm. to go out and, and, and learn more about it. I mean, I wasn't going and reading books when I was eight years old. But um, as when I kind of fell into this line of work, 
and that was the first subject that I really wanted to focus on mainly. Also, William Wallace never met the Princess of Wales, so he never could have been the father of King Edward III, which is what they alluded to with the affair thing. Which is crazy, because Robert the Bruce lived up through Edward III's reign, didn't he? And you're right. He does end up being around still when Edward III is king, and they actually both have a significant role in the independence of Scotland, and we'll talk about that in a bit. The other things that were a little inaccurate, it's not like Robert the Bruce was a super ethical guy. So who knows? He was excommunicated, wasn't he? Sort of, yeah. He killed somebody in a church. Aha, you see, you are very smart. He actually did, yes. (laughs) Not a good sign. (laughs) Not a good sign. (laughs) So the the movie betrayed him in a way of that he was, I don't want to say jealous, but that's the only word I can think of, of William Wallace. Meaning William Wallace was beloved. Yeah. And Robert the Bruce had the struggle it seemed, and at least in the movie, had to struggle for um, acceptance from the Scots. I don't know if jealous is the right word. Maybe it is. But he definitely was looking at what William Wallace was doing. And as long as William Wallace was winning battles, the nobility accepted him. It was when he started losing that it became a problem for nobility. And he was betrayed. But again, it seems like not uh. by Robert the Bruce. Although it could have been that Robert the Bruce had a hand in the person who doing it. There's no way to really know for sure. And the Scottish, for sure, you know, when I was over there, were saying there's no way that that happened. He was too, <laughs> right. you know, of course. they don't. And they wanna... Unfortunately, the, the video cameras back in the 1200s, 1300s, <laughs> they were pretty bad. So it was kind of glitchy video. It was hard to tell. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the thing about history. We have no idea what the real stories are. The stories are written down by the winners, and depending on when they're written down, they could have changed so many times. Yeah. It's like the game of telephone. If anyone knows the game of telephone, how much a story can change just at at a couple tellings. I have a big Italian family. That just gets played any day of the week. Anytime you tell somebody something, you're going to get it back in a little different. (laughs) Phil, you have a syphilis. No, I have a runny nose. I don't have syphilis. Who told you that? Tomas. (laughs) Sorry. Well, if Tomas said it, it must be true. Okay. So let's get into some of the history. I shall tell you of William Wallace. To understand William Wallace and and Robert the Bruce and the whole Scottish rebellion, you have to start with King Edward, right? So King Edward, the Scots actually had a really good relationship with King Edward I. If it wasn't for Alexander III falling off a cliff, we never, ever would have heard of William Wallace. What does Alex III falling off a cliff have to do with William Wallace? So so basically, Alexander III um, of Scots, he... Um, fell off a cliff, so, so he was the king at the time. He fell off a cliff and died. Um, his only heir was a young girl, about three years old, living over in Norway. But the main reason, or, or how Alexander fell off the cliff in the first place, was he'd been married before. Uh, he was married to a woman called Margaret, and they had three kids, two boys and one girl. Um, so this one girl, she moved over to Norway, married the king of Norway. His two sons died early. His wife died as well. Now, that left his only heir as a, as a woman. During medieval times, that was not seen as a good thing. So Alexander got married again. 
he got married to a French princess called Yolanda de Drew. And she was about half of his age. He's about 50. She's 25. Quite attractive. So the only reason why he, or how he fell off of that cliff at a place called Kinghorn is because literally the king got the horn and headed across. So if it wasn't for that, and he didn't die, the whole thing wouldn't have happened. I know it sounds strange, and but that's, I mean, that's literally just, it's, it's, yeah. it's just a, a whole secret. It was just a horrible sequence of events. Because up until that point, Scotland and England were quite friendly with each other. Um, we never had any problems. The biggest, not enemy as such, but the biggest issue that we had with any other country was actually with Norway um, at that time. Because when the Norsemen, you know, the Vikings and stuff. So now Alexander's heir was his daughter. She was supposed to become a queen then. Right. But she was only three years old. Not gonna happen. So she was too young to really defend the Scottish kingdom and to, and to rule. Okay. So now the Scots go to King Edward, who they appreciated and-, and um, Feared. Felt very, well, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet, okay. Not at all. Okay, but the whole Longshanks, he was tall. He was <laughs> fearsome, but go ahead. Yes, but he was considered a good king. And Scotland liked him. Now, so they asked him, that's Edward. They asked Edward to just oversee. I get it, to arbitrate. Yeah, make sure that Scotland didn't come to harm and sort of oversee what was going on. Oh, okay. And just to protect them until she came of age to rule. That's going to go well, (laughs) right? (laughs) But it actually would have. Edward said to them, okay, but I want her to marry my son. How did, did we end up at our, we, um, all of a sudden I'm Scottish now. How, how did Scotland end we up? We all at, are. Yeah. We all are Scottish. <laughs> um, how did Scotland end up at odds with England at that point? Um, so basically Edward the First of England, he was, I mean, he was an, a, a brilliant man. Um, an absolute genius um, is, is the best way that I can put it. Um, so he, he basically had, by this point, taken over Wales, taken over Ireland, and he was just left with taking... Well, he, he now wanted to take France as well, um, basically to add to his empire as such. Um, but there was one place that he had left on the island of Britain, which, of course, was then Scotland. Now, I mean, even back back in medieval times, these places weren't quite known as England, Scotland, and Wales, etc. Um, but it was basically just that land to the north. There was there was a border. We always knew there was a border, but there wasn't particularly names for it. Um, but yeah, so we, we so after Alexander died, we turned to Edward the First and asked him, "Will you look after us? You know, can you help us because we need someone." Regal in order to, to look after it. And he said yes, as long as Alexander's at that point alive granddaughter would marry his son, then he would look after us. And we said, yeah, okay, no problem. Uh, but then when Margaret, the maid of Norway, um, when she was seven and died, the course of that all changed. And then basically Edward said, well, if this wedding isn't going to happen, then I kind of want Scotland now anyway. So, I'll just take it from you. So now, with Scotland, he said, I will put a king in place, but that king will always be subservient to the rule of England. Okay? So he did. After a lot of the nobility talking back and forth, they they named 
John, and I'm going to screw this name up, De Bolio as king of Scotland. So that... Ufa. That, hey, De Bolio, <laughs> get over here. You be king. I know. I said it like he's Italian. Ufa. I'm pretty sure that's know, wrong. Know. <laughs> <laughs> so now, it also happened to be the year that King Edward's wife, Queen Eleanor, died. She was the love of his life. Some people say that that kind of split his personality. He became a lot darker then. All right. So, so he okay. now that that he put his okay. his king in place, he was he became very involved in Scottish life and all the legal and political affairs. He was always around. King Edward. King Edward the first. Yes. All right. And, he, and he's he's becoming slowly turning into the Edward of of Braveheart. Yes. The nasty King Edward. Right. Okay. He's getting more aggressive. And the nobles were getting annoyed with this, right? So there was okay. a lot of pressure on King John, the, the king that, that Edward named. And by the way, the other person who, who could have been king was Robert the Bruce at this time. But Robert the Bruce was not named king. So in 95, King John renounced his fealty to England and entered into a treaty with France. Now, France and England were, you know, rivals. I mean, they weren't at war, but they were rivals. Right. And so this really pissed off King Edward. Okay. And so in 96, Edward marched into Scotland and defeated the Scots at the first big battle of this time period, which was the Battle of Dunbar. And he later that year imprisoned the Scottish King John and claimed himself ruler of Scotland and now the Scottish throne, we've, we talked about this in the other episode, the Stone of Destiny. That's when he took the Stone of Destiny and, and brought it back to, uh, to England. Oh, okay. So that's the Stone of Destiny. That yes. was that rock I took a picture of and went, what the hell is that? Yeah. Seems important to me. <laughs> yes, and it, and it was. And I've actually um, seen it, as, as, yeah. as have you. There you go. Yeah. It all ties it in. There's even a tie into the old podcast. It's amazing. So, <laughs> so now we get to William Wallace. Now... Who was William Wallace? Wallace was, you know, just a just a simple guy like like any of us, um, who was just sick of being walked over, um, essentially. Um, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't a poor man like again depicted in the film, but he, he had some amount of land, but not a huge amount, you know. But he was just um, the, the best phrase to explain William Wallace is he was an unimportant son of an unimportant knight. His father was killed in 1291 by getting into a fight with the English soldiers. The English soldiers were not very kind to the Scottish at that point. He was 21 years old. He becomes aggressive. And he starts fighting little skirmishes. He has a little band of men, and he's having skirmishes against the English. And so a local magistrate from Lanark has his wife killed. Yeah. He marries. Now, this, is, this part is true. He marries a woman in secret because he didn't want to share her with the English nord, lord, that prima nocte. So that was, that was true. That was true. But in the movie, she was killed because they had this fight with soldiers who were trying to take advantage of her. That part is not really true. She was actually strategically captured because of William Wallace, and he killed her because he was trying to goat William Wallace out to come and then take him. So that was the plan, but unfortunately for him 
William Wallace, he had 30 men and he went to Lanark and killed this man who had his wife killed. Then they continued to march on and they marched on to Scone and drove out the English there and, and he started to have these, these wins. He was, remained in action and, and away from him. Now, that sort of sparked a real rebellion because now some of the nobles were, were taking notice and, and were starting to get involved. And one of them in particular is this guy, Andre. The giant? Sorry, go ahead. Now, now that I said that, all I can think of was Princess Bride. I'm <laughs> yeah. screwing you up. There's no way. I'm just screwing you up. I do not think that word is what you think it means. <laughs> you got very good arms. He didn't fall. Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have, <laughs> have fun storming the castle. <laughs> My name is Inigo Montoya. Prepare to die. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, he killed my father. Yes, he killed my that. father. Much, very good. <laughs> and by the way, when you said scone, I'm drinking coffee right now. I, said, <laughs> I thought to myself, because I just woke up. <laughs> I thought, I'm thinking to myself, that sounds like a nice place, scone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look pretty well put together for just waking up, by the way. <laughs> just, just literally, just a long story. Go ahead. So this guy's important because... He actually had somewhat of an army. So when they heard that the British were marching on Sterling, his army met up with William Wallace and his band who, that had grown, but still wasn't as big and as significant. And they marched down to Sterling to confront the English. Now this is called the Battle of Sterling Bridge. And the reason is it was really, really smart. The English were at this narrow bridge. The Scottish forces, William Wallace and, and Moray, held their forces back. They didn't attack them. They, wait, they knew they were going to have to cross this bridge. And so they waited until about half of the English forces crossed, and then they attacked. And they totally took them uh, off guard. Thousands of men were killed, and they were driven back over the river. A lot of them drowned trying to get back. And then the Scots followed them across and pursued them and just wiped them out. Okay. Significant victory. Yeah, significant victory. The leader barely escaped. So it was a, a huge moment. And at that moment, the Scots considered themselves free of occupation. So this was a big win for William Wallace. And Moray was badly, badly injured and ended up dying from those injuries. So William Wallace was knighted at that point and became sort of the guardian protector of Scotland. So now his, his reputation is growing. And the nobles, similar to the way it was portrayed in the movie, they needed to respect him because he was such a hero. It was all about maneuvering to become king. Does anyone know his politics? No, but his weight with the commoners could unbalance everything. William Wallace decides he's going to sack the Lower England, and he he does that. He goes into Northumberland and Cumberland, and and he's starting to do that. Mm -hmm. The leader of the army that had gotten beaten by William Wallace comes down and starts pushing the Scots back into into Scotland. Then Edward the First actually gets involved, and he has archers and the Irish and Welsh auxiliaries. And Wallace has to retreat, and slowly he's burning country down as he's retreating. And so Edward's forces 
keep coming further into Scotland, but okay. now they're running out of supplies and they're having real issues. But then Wallace does something interesting. He stops at Falkirk and is waiting to have their battle. He thought it was a strategic place, and it was, because when Edward shows up, their cavalry, there's, there's a river and then marshland, and the cavalry has real trouble crossing. But now the English, oddly enough, brought in... It was not new. It's been around for a long time, but they hadn't started using it until now, and it was the longbow. And the longbow gave their archers incredible range. The Scots were not prepared for that. So the archers just laid waste mm. to thousands of Scots. Wallace obviously got away, but he resigned his, his guardianship after that. What we know about William Wallace at that point is that he still has a band of men who are doing skirmishes against the English. And he is still a thorn in the side of, of King Edward who wants him captured. In 1305, Wallace is 35 years old and he's still fighting and he's fighting under a Scottish noble. The Scottish noble, this is the Scottish noble who betrays him to King Edward and brings him before King Edward. You can speculate whether Robert the Bruce had anything to do with that. There's really no way to know for sure whether there, there was a connection there or not. So let's look at Robert the Bruce now. Robert the Bruce fought regularly against Edward I and then latterly his son also called Edward. Uh, Edward II and at the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314 Robert the Bruce defeated the English forces at Bannockburn despite being outnumbered by almost four to one and uh, Edward II kept trying but Edward II wasn't the genius that his father was so people lost faith in Edward II quite quickly so despite trying they never succeeded uh, in 1320, Robert the Bruce signed a, a declaration, which was basically the Declaration of Arbroath, um, but Scotland's Declaration of Independence. Um, now here's another wee tidbit for you. The Declaration of Arbroath, when, um, so when the Americans were signing the American Declaration of Independence, they took the Declaration of Arbroath and they, did, they used it as a reference, because essentially they were declaring their independence from exactly the same thing. <laughs> when you think about it, yeah. de de declaring your independence from the British Empire. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so so the Declaration of Arbroath um, was signed. At the time, it wasn't accepted um, because it was the Pope that ran the world at that point, basically. Um, so they didn't. Uh, the Pope didn't accept the Declaration um, until... So that was signed in 1320. Um, until 1326, when basically Edward II, Robert the Bruce, got together, they signed a treaty between the two of them. Um, and that basically was then sent to the Pope, and the Pope said, right, you guys are friends again now. Good stuff. <laughs> so you asked about how Robert the Bruce became king, and you had heard that he had killed somebody in the church. Okay, so here's how it went down. In 1298, Robert the Bruce and his rival for the throne... John Coleman were both named guardian of Scotland. Robert resigned in 1300 because of all of the, the fighting with Coleman. And apparently it looked like King John was going to ascend to the throne again. He never really did. And a few years later in 1306, Robert the Bruce killed 
his main rival at that point, John Coleman, in a Franciscan church. Four weeks after that, he was crowned king. And he got excommunicated? Is that true? He was excommunicated? I did not know the answer to this, so I had to look it up. And apparently, he was excommunicated after the murder. But then that excommunication was lifted about 22 years later by Pope John Twelfth. King Edward, control, at this point, controlled a lot of the important castles in Scotland and, and considered Robert the Bruce a traitor. Robert was twice defeated in 1306. His wife and many of his supporters were captured and three of his brothers were executed. Robert became a fugitive and he went hiding. This is what you were talking about. He went hiding on an island off the North Irish coast. And then in June 1314, there's a battle called the Battle of Bannenberg. And this is where the Bruce defeated the English. Despite being outnumbered, the battle ended when Robert the Bruce was in this crazy, this is like a movie scene, in this crazy deadly sword fight with a British knight, and he cut off his head. And that's sort of what ended the battle. That was like the culmination of the battle, which is, I think, so interesting. Dude, by the way, how do you know about the excommunication thing? You seem to know a lot. I'm just going by, like, literally, I woke up, I made a cup of coffee, I turned on a YouTube, 10 interesting facts about Robert the Bruce. It was a minute and a half video. <laughs> and that okay. was one of the facts. The guy could have been wrong. Another fact that he that I got from that video was that Robert the Bruce instituted sort of a uh, guerrilla warfare way of fighting King Edward, where yes. he, he noticed that they would come in um, and fight in the nicer months of the year, let's say. And then when winter came, they would leave and then just... Uh, hopefully their forts would would keep the borders and once they would leave Robert the Bruce would bring his uh, his troops out and take a fort or two (laughs) and then as soon as the summer came they would go back and and meld into the (laughs) into the hillside and one other fact if you want me to give it since I'm here that I don't know you tell me if this is true or not was that Robert the Bruce was actually really well educated and did some translations he he understood French. He spoke French because everyone spoke French in the courts. It was the language of the courts, which is so crazy, right? But apparently that was what they spoke in the court. So he spoke well, uh, spoke French well, and he actually translated some books from French to English. Now you had asked the question about was Robert the Bruce around to see Edward III? So the answer is yes. Edward II was killed in 1327 Edward III took the crown, and the Treaty of Northampton was in 1328, and that was between Edward III and Robert the Bruce. Scotland now is a a kingdom. For how long? Because that was one of the things we were debating in the Edinburgh podcast. How long? Because I had thought it had some amount of time as being its own kingdom. Because it's always the way, right? Alexander, the, one of the greatest generals ever, he dies and it's total chaos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not, it's not as if the, the kingdom that he conquered stayed together. It's always the way. Robert Bruce, apparently unbelievable leader, right? He dies, falls apart. It's always, it was always the way, it seems. Okay, so it looks like you're right again. It was its own country until 1603, so Robert the Bruce, one of the reasons he's so important is that he unified Scotland. And then pretty much uh, until the 1990s, Scotland really wasn't self-governing. Yeah, fairly recently, they almost voted to secede again. It's funny. United Kingdom's been having it tough lately. <laughs> <laughs> Not so united. Right, exactly. 
Okay, so the last story about Robert the Bruce that I found really interesting, and this was a story that I heard on one of the tours. When Robert the Bruce wanted to take back Edinburgh Castle, he sent his most senior advisor, a guy by the name of Thomas Randolph. He was the, the first Earl of Moray. He didn't have enough men, so he went to the town and asked for any man who could scale the steep side of the dormant volcano yeah. to get to the castle. A man named William, this is not William Wallace, said he could do it. Now you may be asking, who is this guy, William? Well, William's father was a soldier in the castle. And so William grew up there. And as he was coming of age, there was a, a woman in town that he would visit. Okay. And so assuming girlfriend, right? William would actually climb down the face of this volcano, which if you remember is like incredibly steep it's a it's an incredible climb yeah. and then climb back up wow before the morning so his father would never know wow yeah you think she appreciated his uh, his effort let's hope so <laughs> oh right holy, i mean holy. it's crazy so randolph actually sent him up the side and had him drop down ladders and while the bulk of the army was attacking the front of the castle this armed elite force climbed up the side and surprised the soldiers inside Okay. And so basically the Scots took back the castle for Robert the Bruce. And it's all because of this really horny <laughs> kid, William, hey, who knew. It doesn't have to be horny. Right. It, could, it be could have been love. love. Yes, this you're right. Smitten love. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was a really cool story. Robert the Bruce wasn't part of that. No, no. He had sent Randolph to go take care of it. Wow. Well, there you go. That's kind of it. It's a little different yeah. than, obviously, what everybody knows from that movie. So for you, it was interesting because you loved the movie and then you, you got the real story. And, and this is what you remember of it. It reminds me that, like, how vicious history was. And it, it was hard to say that there were straight bad guys and good guys. Because even Robert the Bruce did some things that were a little bit unethical, you know, you could say. And, it, and that is true to this day, Phil. Yes, it is more true now it's than... It's true to this day. I don't care who the leader is and what you think of them. Yeah. There is no all good person yeah. on this planet. That's right. I suppose that that is the moral of today's story. <laughs> is uh, Be wary. Love your politicians. If you love them, that's fine. Yeah. But also be aware. But be realistic, you know? There is no messiah. At least political messiah. You could believe in a religious messiah, but there is none. I don't care who they are, so... I'm going to get off my horse. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, thank you all for listening. I hope you were able to piece together some semblance of an understanding during this uh, conversation. Yeah, it was fun. I uh, know a little bit more, so that's cool. <laughs> I'm always happy learning. <laughs> we're the Jocular Pugilists. You can engage with us more, find out more, check out our pictures, which mine, I promise you, will be up there at some point soon on the website, thejocularpugilists.com. You could also go and find us uh, on our, all of our socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. You can uh, support the podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a five-star rating and review, and we really, really appreciate that. That really helps out the show. And you can also do the same on Spotify. You know, it just takes a second. Just go and do it. <laughs> That's sort of it. Tomas, thank you for uh, sticking around with me. Absolutely. It's always fun. And, I, you know, I love history. So anything I can learn, good and bad, makes me a little smarter. Hey, we got a new review. Really? What, you want to read it? Let's dive in. What's it say? Oh, no, no, sorry. It's the old review. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Sorry. This is why I love to hate you. <laughs> it's a month old, All so right. we need reviews. We need new reviews. There you go. Okay. All right, I'll see you next time, my man. <laughs> Peace. Peace. Peace.